Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're listening to this podcast, and you are, you're most probably listening through a pair of headphones, which means I have the perfect sponsor with the perfect product for you. It's Studio, and they want to revolutionize the way people see headphones. Generally, fashionable headphones tend to lack the proper sound quality and the high-tech ones are bulky and not design-orientated. Studio bridge that gap while emphasizing sleek, modern Scandinavian design. To get a 15% discount on any of their wares, go to studiosweden.com, which is spelled S-U-D-I-O Sweden.com, and simply put in the code... DTD when purchasing a pair of headphones. Oh, and they make the perfect gift for Christmas. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. Alright. Yeah. There's always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to both. Today we speak to Joe Kunis about mid-century modern furniture. The Way You Move is a song recorded by Big Boy of the hip-hop duo Outkast. It's one of two lead singles from Speakerbox forward slash The Love Below, Outkast double album project. Ready for action, nip it in the bud, we never relaxing. Outcast is everlasting, not clashing, not at all. But see, my nigga went to do a little acting. Now that's for anyone asking. Give me one and pass them. Drip, drip, drop, there it goes an orgasm. Now you coming out the side of your face, we tapping right into your memory bank. Thanks. So click at the ticket, let's see your seatbelt fasten. Trunk rattling, like two midgets in the back seat rattling. Speaker box vibrate the tag, make it sound like aluminum cans in a bag. But I know y'all wanted that 808, can you feel that BASS bass? But I know y'all wanted that 808, can you feel that BASS
show, today more than ever, the mid-century modern look is absolutely everywhere. Why is it that we're so enthralled to that madman-type look when it comes to our furniture pieces? I think that people like the simplicity and streamline designs, bright colors, technical construction, and I think future futurism in a way, even though it's from the past. That, that's exactly it, isn't it? That you look at this stuff and some of it you just can't believe was designed 50, 60, 70 years ago. Tell us about some of the most, the most classic pieces. For me, it has to be like the chair. So something like the tulip chair or like a Charles Eames chair. But to run us through some of those staple design classics, which everyone will have seen, but probably will, will not realise who designed it and that it's part of this great art design movement. Well, right. There's an arc and it started well before the 50s uh, with the modernists of Europe at sort of the Bauhaus or uh, in France with Nouveau. Um, So these modernists were artists and it was all influenced by art and politic as well. Um, And I would say that the edginess that they were coming up with in the arts translated into the furniture. And so what we see from from the Bauhaus, like Mies van der Rohe and Marcel Breuer, the chrome and black leather bent rod furniture, bent tubular furniture, that was so striking and a breakthrough at the time in terms of technology and manufacturing are the sort of icons that people look at as mid-century furniture, though it was designed well before the middle part of the 20th century. So for me, when I think of this kind of type of furniture, I must admit, I just think of California. I think of sunshine. Why is it that, at least for somebody like me, uh, that the two things are kind of synonymous? That's right. So indoor, outdoor living. I think Sunset Magazine in the 1950s uh, promoted a lifestyle that brought the outdoors in and plant life and open glass doors and patios that had terra culture or plant life and naturalism incorporated, you know, gives people a feeling of connection to the environment. And so that has been prominent part of uh, mid-century architecture and furniture. So the modernists employed, you know, new techniques in creating iconic furniture. For example, Charles Eames with the steam bent plywood that he was asked to use during uh, the war for the airplane wings and the leg splints uh, after the war became low cost material that was able to be bent into the shape of the human form and used as chairs. So there was a big push and a competition at the MoMA in New York for a low cost solution for modern furniture. So the Eames chair is the classic, the potato chip chair or LCW which stands for lounge chair wood, is one of the most iconic chairs of the 20th century. And of course, what the movement is really known for, as you've kind of hinted about there with Charles Eames, uh, is using new material to create these kind of works of, of art, these works of great design. And a lot of it was kind of like using plastics in the home for the very first time, even. That's right. For mica and plastic or injection molded plastic or uh, incorporating lucite and glass and other materials that would be unconventional to furniture ever before became commonplace. Why is it that after 
so many years, this stuff still looks sexy. Uh, for me, there is a certain level of cool around it. I can look at, let's say, classic 70s design. And I can kind of start to appreciate it now. You know, it's gone so out of fashion that it's kind of come back a little. But there is something about the coolness of this, which was just one of the reasons why something like Mad Men was just so successful. You can almost see that guy uh, sat in an Eames chair or sat around a dinner table with these great pieces and great bits of artwork around him um, in his suit smoking a cigarette it's just cool it's it's hard what why is it that it still captures our imagination it's hard to really explain in one point i think that you strike on a thing that that our entire generation feels somehow there was a a, a mystique in the past and and yet we are living in the moment today the present today and have an eye toward the future and this furniture, this cool that you talk about is almost like uh, we want to capture something or create a narrative. And it, furniture and design and art allows us to slant ourselves in the past. I think modern design and furniture and interior space gives us this ability to transport to a sort of like a, an idealized or stylized version of ourselves or of our world. I think that's a, a really interesting way of looking at it. And it's hard for me not to think, well, at the time when this stuff was being produced in America, America was, it was a booming economy, it's post-war, but was actually deeply conservative. This stuff is not conservative. Now, normally, I think we associate great movements in design with some kind of intellectual upheaval don't we political upheaval you know but that was not the case here was it no i think what you touch on is the fantasy of uh, our better self that we have in this country or of our unique self that americans feel like we're special we're all special flowers and that our surroundings make us that and in fact we're all of a similar culture or of a similar sort of upbringing, but yet have kind of privilege to accentuate our meaning by our surroundings, by our ephemeral decoration. So fashion and the car we drive and the furniture we sit on creates our own version of ourselves. if that's not too... Too, uh... too overly intellectual. <laughs> I just, I have to laugh at it because when you said it's so cool and it, you know, it's furniture we're talking about here. Furniture is not cool. It's just an object. It's a chair. And we we somehow place all this love in it and like, not hope, but cr makes us a better self to have a bright red womb chair and ottoman because we've seen it in so many great Playboy ads or in Mad Men or in movies and TV shows over the years. It is a better version of ourself as brought to you by Paramount Pictures and Sony Television. I think your piece of music that you picked for us this week, Joey Pecacaro, <laughs> I know butchered that. It's called Finding Parking, and it's a beautiful synthesis of the old and the new, which is a kind of perfect metaphor, really, for what we're talking about. These works of art, these works of design, have stood the test of time, 
and they harken back but also still feel incredibly modern, which is exactly what Joey's managed to do with this piece of music. Can you describe this piece of music for us and how you actually came by his work? My son, who's a jazz player, brought it to me. Um, and I think, you know, for a 13-year-old to synthesize old jazz and blues with new electronic music is the exact bridging of generations that uh, Joey Pecoraro is going for with these songs and with his style. So when I'm poolside with my in my mid-century design Californian home, what else should I be listening to other than this kind of chill house? Classic rock and jazz and really because well, okay, please define classic what you would define as classic rock because that to me almost feels like the antithesis to what we're talking about. And if and I hadn't thought about this until I posed the question. But when that stuff was being designed, you know, you had rock and roll bursting forth and that stuff doesn't seem very rock and roll. No, but I think, you know, I think the counterbalance and it's rebel furniture, right? It it was modern and breakthrough and groundbreaking Mm -hmm. and rock and classic music. It was kind of rebel music and counter to the, you know, standard diet of music. I, I think there's no uh, formula. I think, in fact, a formulaic expression of a lifestyle with your furniture that it would be, you know, sort of counter to the feeling that it's supposed to give you. I would, I would encourage people to play reggae while they're sitting in their 
1920s Bauhaus chair. And I mean, it, there's just no formula for how to feel with the things around you. I think it's all about your gut. It's hard, it's hard to explain. Yeah, no, I like variety. Mm-hmm. You like variety. But before we had our musical break, you were saying that these things aren't cool. They're just bits of furniture. But I'm always really <laughs> struck being a Brit coming over to America, how different American homes are to British and let's say Scandinavian homes. Scandinavians seem to have a much more keen eye for design, for how things work in a space and how these objects relate to each other. Us Brits are some way halfway. We're typically mid-Atlantic between New Americans and the Scandinavians in that we have more of an appreciation. But it seems like to me that most American homes are populated with stuff purely for comfort. In effect, you invite somebody into your home and you say, these are the things which are important to me aesthetically, as well as, you know, you need a chair to sit your ass on. Don't get me wrong, right? Why don't you Americans on a whole, considering you have such a great furniture heritage and legacy like putting your bums on beautifully designed bits of furniture why is it that everybody loves lazy chairs easy chairs in america lazy boy yeah so the vast majority of americans are conventional consumers and we are a society of consumption and i think that there's so many more people in america than there are independent boutiques or design oriented shops that would curate furniture to the masses. It's big box mentality and it's also cookie cutter. Americans like being like their neighbors. And in the Midwest or the South or areas where there's a sort of dominant paradigm, it's unlikely that the modernists have ever broken through with art or design influence in furniture unless you, now you can go into Target and find uh, mid-century by, you know, Thomas O'Brien or it's rendered down to the masses at that level. But yeah, no, you make a good point. I think uh, Europeans consider their environment at home. It's considered and maybe not as overdone. And certainly the Scandinavians, it's even more so. But America is kind of like last in line with aesthetic and design curatorship. Which, as I said, is such a, a strange thing in so many ways when you are the, the country which almost defined the consumer and you have this great design heritage, as I said before. How do you fall into this world, Joe? Because I know for a fact that, that in your shop, in your store, you have a lot of beautiful pieces. Where did you develop your eye and love for furniture? So I was influenced by my grandparents in Connecticut who were... Jewish intellectuals, accountants, actually, but had clients who were modernists, architects, artists, people in the design field generally, whether it be graphic design or advertising or print work or whatever, and had a house full of gifts from those people or things they purchased. So going back east every summer as a kid and visiting their home was sort of like visiting a museum. There were pieces of art, maquettes on the coffee table that are greater sculptures that you would see in, you know, Storm King Sculpture Garden or maybe um, a lobby of some high rise in New York City. So it was an influence 
that translated later to a sort of a hobby level business of buying and selling design. And then I just decided at one point to take it to the next level and open a shop. And at the time I had no obligations, no mortgage, no children, no wife. And my grandfather, who was uh, my biggest influence at the time said, why not do it? You have nothing to lose. And so that was the, the motivation that I needed along with a little $10,000 loan. I opened my uh, first shop on College Avenue in Rockridge in Oakland in 1999. Here's a question for you before we start to wrap up. What's the most beautiful thing that you own at home? What is the thing that gives you the most pleasure when you look at it? And what's the most beautiful thing in your store at the moment? Gee, I need to think about that one for a minute. The most beautiful thing I own at home. Hmm. I would have to say it's probably the inherited Eames lounge chair of all things. You know, I don't think of myself as a collector and that's such an iconic piece that everyone, you know, aspires to own. And this one is special to me because it was inherited. It was my grandfather's chair. And to have a piece of his legacy that I see every day that I get to sit um, sit on and enjoy that, yeah, it's a special piece. At the store, you know, there's so many great things. I think the thrill of my business, the thrill of what I do is that I get to see and own and pass beautiful things on to other people. And so while I do have favorites in the store, usually it's a small handheld sculpture or maybe a ceramic piece, some little carved piece of marble or some sliced stainless steel sculpture. I don't generally want to possess things that I curate at the store. I want to find their next home. I think that's part of the thrill for me. You need to tell us exactly where your store is and where people can find you online. Ah, we're at bayhomeconsignment.com. It's 1825 East Shore Highway in Berkeley. Joe Coonies, thank you for coming on to Friday 15 and explaining to us America's great heritage when it comes around to modernism, when it comes to design and how it conquered the world of interiors and architecture in the mid 20th century. Thank you, Joe. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Royfield. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Protopunk in 1965. The Stooges classic I Wanna Be Your Dog sits at the intersection of three chord shoutiness and 60s psychedelia. Enjoy.
Tom Nish's love of jazz, funk and disco are writ large on this solid 2017 groove. South of the River starts with a series of looping string instrumentals with Tom's laconic vocals on top. I want to stay south of the river With the chains and the gold We could be out here together places to go Watching the sunshine lace the grey I don't know why you wouldn't stay You should come south of the river Where the loving is gold Get. You can follow the show's progress on Facebook by simply typing in Friday 15. You can also find us on Twitter, where you can follow me, where I'm at Royfield, spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. Now, every Thursday, you can jump onto Twitter and tweet me and nominate a song for me to put into this week's Friday 15 iTunes reviews, folks, are extremely important. They're the lifeblood of any podcast. Please go onto iTunes and write us a, a glowing review. And don't forget, finally, you can email me from Royfield, spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D, at gmail.com. See you all again in seven days' time for more good music and great conversation. 
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 